listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your guest host, Andrew Martin-Smith. Storytelling. Personal. Completely dependent on performer's artistry. Composer Andrew Cody is an adjunct professor teaching in the composition and music technology areas at George Mason University, and is also the Associate Director of Worship and Arts at Truro Church in Fairfax, Virginia. Andrew is very active writing for Churro, a unique church where new music is premiered almost on a weekly basis, and also writes primarily for wind ensemble, percussion, and saxophone chamber music. Andrew earned a doctorate in music composition from George Mason University, a master's degree in music composition from Central Michigan University, and a bachelor's degree in music education from the University of New Hampshire. His former composition instructors include Mark Camphaus, Jesse Gesford, Glenn Smith, David R. Gillingham, Jay Batzner, Andrew Boyson Jr., and Michael Anikariko. So I, I have to start, I really do have to start this way. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Andrew. How are you, Andrew? <laughs> Wait, hold on. Sorry. Are you Dr. Andrew? I am Dr. Andrew, and you are Dr. Andrew as well. Ah, good to meet you, Dr. Andrew. All the oh, doctors. It's, see, this, this is exactly the reason right here why I appreciated the fact that Rob McClure had a scheduling conflict and had to postpone this so that I could then talk him into taking your interview and doing it myself. Yes. <laughs> it's the Andrew. It's the Andrew A squared. I love it. A squared. Totally. It's the Andrew meets Andrew. Um, yes. Well, well. Now that that's out of the way, the the second order of business is uh, welcome Andrew Cody to the Adjective Composers Collective. Woo! Super pumped. This is your uh, Lexical Tones debut in that capacity, and we're really excited to have you. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, when I first uh found out about the collective i like danced around in my living room and then when i found out i was going to get to be a part of it i even danced uh you know more on top of that so it was great a lot of dancing in our household oh i love i love it music and dance it's it's uh it's a perfect marriage that's right they go hand in hand right that's right um, so I am, I, I literally have a whole page of notes with, with a bunch of stuff from, uh, the pieces that you had submitted to Rob, as well as your, mm-hmm. uh, your adjectives. And so, uh, I, I'm just, uh, I think I have an idea of how I want to navigate through this, but as I'm looking at this very dense page of notes, I think I realize what my wife, Jamie talks about. I have atrocious handwriting. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> that's okay. That goes with being the doctor, right? Isn't, isn't that part, uh, exactly. of the, part of the game? Well, now, is, is your handwriting uh, – first off, are you left-handed or right-handed? Right-handed. I'm You're right-handed. right-handed. So we balance each other out very well. I'm left-handed. So you get to be that okay. side. Okay. There you go. Um, All right. But I imagine with that comes slightly better penmanship than, than my wrong-handed pursuit. See, my penmanship has, like, completely diminished since probably <laughs> third grade. I think I peaked in the third <laughs> grade peaked. and it's just – it's <laughs> – yeah, like I had my capital letters. I had a little bit of cursive. I, like – you know, uh, modeled my signature off of a old Red Sox pitcher, Danny Darwin. And then it basically <laughs> all slowly, slowly went downhill there. So now it's legible to m- maybe some people or, uh, you know, I think that's about it. Through, through yeah, great we're, we're, we're together there. We're there. I, we're together. Well, did you when now, now not to not to bring up any past trauma, but but when going through your comprehensive exams or your qualifying exams, like did, did uh, was that handwritten? Was that all handwritten? 
Oh yeah, it was. It was completely, um, and, and it was bad. Because the other, the other big, I'm just gonna air out all of my faults. My wife is walking by too, so she can uh, add to do these it. as well. Do it. Um, but, <laughs> but no, I, I'm also a horrible speller. Like that's like one thing that's really bad. So like my uh, comprehensive exams and my essays were cleverly crafted around words I could still remember how to spell. And luckily, See? musical terminology I can retain. But anything beyond that, it's it's like game over. Um, I, I have a, I would be, I am the worst spelling bee person ever. Like spelling <laughs> yeah. out loud, spelling out loud is my Achilles heel. I got, I can, uh, yeah. I got the spelling if I write it down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got the spelling if I have spell check. That's, that's basically yes! my, my yes! saving grace. It's the only um, way I can do it. Welcome, welcome to the millennial culture of, of being born with computers around us. Yeah. Um, I'm the, pr- I'm the product. That's Congratulations right. society. Yeah. Right. So I actually want to get started, I think, uh, uh, unpacking your, your um, adjectives a little bit that you, that you give us. So, of course, we, we ask all of the composers to give us three adjectives uh, for their particular uh, show on lexical tones. And uh, I, I'm cheating a little bit, but of course, because I got to see your email exchange a little bit with Rob when he forwarded you mm-hmm. that. And, and you're like, man, this is difficult. And I agree with you 100 percent. But, but wh- what, do you, mm-hmm. what do you personally find the most daunting aspect of, of trying to like – capture your your music or your creativity in just three adjectives yeah well first of all i think um one adjective is tough uh for me as a composer (laughs) i don't know it's it still just feels uh it feels very new um to me Mm. honestly and Mm. uh, i feel like i'm still learning uh quite a bit every time i get a chance to write something and um you know I, i think there are some you know habits i'll get into writing music or some some things that i feel comfortable with that you know, kind of, I, I lean a little heavier on, but, um, it, it's more of a process in, in, in a way of like creating time and creating a, a space to create music rather than, uh, an individual characteristic that I could describe as, a, as being a sound. Um, so yeah, so I mean, so that was, that was hard part was like coming up with three. And I remember actually sitting at the, uh, the dinner table with my wife and I was like, how would you describe my music? <laughs> And she was like, well, <laughs> which is always an interesting uh, way of teeing it up. And, uh, but no, it, um, and I think it's, I don't know, it's just one of those things that, uh, and I'm sure Andrew, you get this when you look at pieces of music that you've done um, in the past and, and music that maybe you're working on or you're comparing it to works from four years or five years ago or whatever. And it just, everything just shifts and changes and it's maybe the piece or the notes don't change, but the way you view them or the way you view your life when you wrote those notes change. And so I think just coming up with those characteristics for me as a composer, it makes it very, very difficult. Yeah, you bring up this idea that I always try and stress with uh, with any students that I teach, be it theory or history or, or composition, where it's where you know this is a temporal art form that we live in. So so we are we are literally mm-hmm. our time, our canvas, our canvas, I should say, is time, right? Um, and with that comes a sense that music exists in time, and we are always listening to it at a different time from when we were listening to it before. So it, it mm-hmm. really is never the same. We're never we're never approaching it the same way twice. Yeah, isn't that? The cool thing about it, though, I mean, I just love that, and I think it's yeah, wonderful. and I and I I think I think interestingly enough, I think all three of your adjectives kind of touch on that thread. I don't I don't know if this was purposeful, but but it, there seems to be like like a, a connective tissue. I kind of want to try and hopefully don't uh, don't impose my own view on on what it was you were thinking, but offer maybe mm-hmm. my take on these adjectives you've given me. Absolutely. 
So, so we have uh, uh, the three of them you've, you've given is storytelling was the first one, right? Mm-hmm. And then you had yeah. personal. And mm-hmm. then you have the, my, my la- the last one of my favorite, personally, is the, uh, the completely dependent on the performer's artistry. Did I get yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 100%. Yeah. So, so I, I actually think um, – I, I, I imagine all of these can be applied to all three pieces to some degree. But, but reading them and then looking at and listening to the pieces you chose for this particular podcast, I kind of assign like one in particular to each piece. Okay. I love it. And, and I, yeah, and I'm, I'm sorry if this kind of goes against the grain, but at the same time, I'm a composer, so I'm, I'm not that sorry. <laughs> no, don't be sorry at all. I love it. So I, I want to unpack that last one since it's kind of the most fun. And, and the mm-hmm. one that I kind of equate this one with a little bit is um, your, your piece, Consequences of Our Common Good. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And so is that, is that fair to say? Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so talk to me about, about, who maybe this piece was written for or, or what I, I might spoiler alert. I have, I might have a little backstory of my own on, yeah, yeah. on, on the, this particular piece, but, but why don't you go ahead and introduce the piece a little bit in terms of who it was written for and, and why it was written? Yeah. So a couple of years ago, I became really great friends um, with Jake and Sarah of the Deco ensemble. And um, they had reached out uh, because they were performing a lot of soprano alto saxophone repertoire. And um, I had written this piece called ulterior motives Yes, you did. <laughs> um, yeah, which is uh, kind of like a four and a half uh, minute long piece that I wrote as a composer in residence. Uh, I say that because I was sleeping quite literally on the performer's couch. Uh, With the air as, quotes. I love it. Yes, yes. in residence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My resume doesn't say that or anything at all. Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, for a friend, and uh, Jake and Sarah uh, gravitated towards the piece, but they, they asked if I could orchestrate it for soprano and alto saxophone, which I, of course, said yes, because I had heard them perform before and um uh any opportunity to have them play any of my music i said let's let's do it anything you need um and so they were very kind and performed that piece in a couple different places and they uh the one critique that they had was they wanted a longer a longer version of the piece Mm. and uh i said well can i use this opportunity to write that for you and so that's where uh consequences of our common good came from um, so it was written for uh, Jake and Sarah, and yeah, completely dependent on uh, the musician's artistry is um, not just a descriptor <laughs> for this piece, but for all my pieces, because um, in terms of being a composer, I'm, I'm not a micromanager at all. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my scores are uh, more of, I mean, they're direct and they're hopefully clearly communicative, but um, more so it's it, when a, compo- a performer comes up to me and says, hey, what if I tried doing this? And, or you know, if, if they have an idea for something else, I'd say, absolutely. Let's explore that. Let's see what you have, especially because I'm not a saxophonist and mm-hmm. Jake, Jake and Sarah are fantastic musicians. So there's a lot of different colors that you'll notice on this, um, in this piece and in this recording, um, that were not, you know, marked in the score, but they were rather added by Jake and Sarah because I just trusted them to make music out of it. And, um, this piece was recorded on, um, a long set of recordings that they did for me, 
um, that was kind of my first full length classical album, um, mm. solo saxophone and, uh, chamber saxophone works, um, in which they both recorded like pros in one day. <laughs> and so yeah. that whole record came together in a day of tracking and a day of mixing. And, uh, and I'm just super, super proud of the work that they did. And, um, yeah, like I said, I'm completely dependent on <laughs> them making, uh, <laughs> the music sound like music. Uh, it's seriously completely out of my hands. Yeah, you know, and and of course, this is this this ensemble, the Deco Ensemble. So Jacob Swanson and and Sarah Marchitelli, uh, both uh, uh, folks that I've known since my undergraduate days. I was actually a, a, a senior at Fredonia, uh, the State University of New York at Fredonia, when they were uh, freshmen. I think if that's if that if I'm remembering correctly. That's amazing. Um, that's great. So, so here, here it is. I'm, you know, I, I'm coming back here. Jamie and I came back to to teach and and whatnot. And Jake and Sarah are in the area doing doing their thing, and they're you know gigging and teaching, and uh, they got this great series uh, in the Southern Tier, Bach and Beer, that uh, mm -hmm. they pair a whole bunch of contemporary pieces and uh, a Baroque pieces, and of course uh, they play at uh, pubs and uh, various coffee houses and things. So that was literally where I was first introduced to uh your music by by our our mutual friends <laughs> that's the only place i hope my music is ever performed is <laughs> alongside a beer that's, that's the dream <laughs> um so so now you're talking about being being dependent on the performer's artistry which i think a number of composers will will agree with i, I mean i certainly agree with that uh, mu music sure. is communicative and collaborative right mm -hmm. and yeah. you're a performer yourself are you not you're a percussionist yes that's uh t t by the books uh, i would say um again uh <laughs> as i've continued on and i meet other musicians i'm like man i need to practice <laughs> uh, but yeah i do play um pretty often as a percussionist and uh, as well as a guitarist but yeah i, mm. I, I try my best yeah yeah, no, and I, I think that's another hallmark of uh, something that 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 active composers. I, I tend to hear in in that in the music of composers who also perform to to whatever degree, whatever caliber. There's a there's a there's a particular sound. There's a particular camaraderie they have. I mean, a, a composer who has been in the shoes of a performer, they know what a performer's feeling on stage, and they they know how frustrating it is to to work on a passage maybe that that doesn't have the greatest return on investment right and so oh, 100 percent, so, yeah 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 no i i agree i think that's uh such an important sensitivity that composers need to be aware of um uh you know as as my family has continued to grow and having a little one and you know having interests outside of music i know that rehearsal time is so unbelievably valuable oh man and, precious uh, yeah, and uh, if there's one thing that I can say I don't like is long rehearsals. And uh, mm. and yes, yeah, so I've always bought into the mentality of you always want to make your performers um, look like they're working harder than they actually are. Like to to, to mm. make it sound like what they're doing is more impressive than what they actually are uh, putting in on the back end. You know, all these yeah. performers. Like you look at Jake and Sarah, and I mean, they're such. I, I'm using them to continue on this because you know they're amazing and uh you know they invest so much time and energy into their craft that yes. you want to tap into what they've already worked on and what they've mm -hmm. already done and what what frankly that they love and love to play like jake told me that he loves playing uh, or at least i think i remember from this that uh, high range <laughs> stuff and, and he loves exploring that and <laughs> oh he does uh, indeed <laughs> and, and uh so that yeah the end of consequences it goes up to this really high melody and and mm -hmm. just makes it soar on that soprano um, and so like, I would much rather do that than, 
you know, dream up some amazing, crazy thing that, you know, nobody's ever explored um, and make them work really, really hard. But then the audience maybe will not receive it that way. So I, I just try yeah. my best. Um, just I, And I guess that comes from being a little bit of a performer, um, just knowing that time is really valuable and you want to mm-hmm. maximize um, the amount of time that they've already put into the instrument, into your own work. Yeah. So, so getting back a little bit to the piece and, and it's companion sort of, because, uh, I'm a, I'm actually a huge fan of ulterior motives. Um, I, I, I do, I use this piece in, uh, when I teach beginning composition, if I'm talking about process music, um, Oh really? Oh, that's so kind. Yeah, I, I I tend to don't get me wrong. I love I love aspects of the musical canon, mm-hmm. but the last thing I need in my life is to look at more Philip Glass or Steve Reich or John Adams. I, I don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy all of this, uh, mm-hmm. uh, despite some overdrinks episodes and some uh, some chicanery. Uh, but yeah. the the idea the idea that I can pull literature from just people who are closer in age, people that are closer in in a career trajectory to my students or mm-hmm. or just that are closer in location geography what what have you for sure it makes it it makes it seem i think it makes it seem more approachable or or more attainable maybe that's the wrong word to use too, but there's something about that that I think is it resonates well with students yeah um well that's that's really nice and thank you for for using that. And, and I try to do the same thing as well. And, uh, I think that's why it's even better when you can get, you know, guest people to come in visit or even mm-hmm. just appear over Skype because, yeah, you know, I think, um, the more you can put a face to, uh, the process or to what's going on, the, the more people are able to kind of latch onto it pedagogically. Um, yeah. and that, I think, you know, a lot of people in the industry would do that. Um, not just in music, but in, not even just the arts, even like business and all that sort of stuff. It's like, oh yeah, right. That, that that guy's doing that, and he's trying to, you know, represent this, and it's it's happening now, and it's not just something that was in a textbook years and years ago. But yeah, right. so that's really cool. I'm glad um, that you're finding enjoyment out of that, and uh, I hope your students are as well. I, you know, it, uh, from my perspective, uh, they're along for the ride. So I, I hope too, but at the same time, there's learning experiences and, oppor- and opportunities, even if they're not enjoying it. So <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, but, but to get back to my initial point, the idea that, that I, I look at these as kind of companion pieces. Do you, do you feel that, that consequences of our common good is an outgrowth, is truly an outgrowth of ulterior motives? Are, are you doing, is that in the titles too, a little bit with this kind of, are you playing around? with that idea yeah for sure um and uh and uh yeah no and uh when when jake and sarah commissioned the piece that they said we literally want a longer version of ulterior motives so <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> that sounds good um no and uh you know and so basically the the first movement of the piece follows the form almost to a t in in, in the fact that it's it's kind of a sonata form but it also has this little bit of an additive section um, which I love doing. I think um, regardless mm-hmm. if you use it as a musical convention or not, I think it's a really good process to write out a melodic line and dissect it all the way in reverse. So like, you know, you'll hear this little additive part, this whole do 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 and it kind of adds a note one by one. And mm-hmm. so you write the full phrase first and then you kind of take parts away and you, yeah. you try to say, okay, what's a clever way that I can introduce this in the, those sorts of ideas? Um, which I think is a really fun compositional exercise because it makes you go, 
all right, is it really dependent on these notes? Are these notes necessary? Uh, mm-hmm. Is this part of that? Um, so anyway, so that's a little tangent. But yeah, the, the first movement is literally almost a carbon copy of uh, that piece, except obviously different notes, different melodic structure, all that sort of stuff. Mm. But a similar aesthetic, a similar energy. Um, and then the two following movements are kind of just more, the second movement is more groove-based, groove, groove based, and the third movement is more melodic and a little reflective. Um, but yeah, it's it definitely, um, I think I learned a lot in the first one. Um, and knowing Jake and Sarah and their creativity to be able to make a longer form version of you know, what I was after from that first piece was definitely uh, something that I was going for. Well, I think this is a great moment to kind of pause and take an opportunity to listen to the piece. So, so you said that this recording is, is from their, their, their one day kind of extravaganza. Uh, yeah. Uh, if, yeah where, where did they record? Uh, so we recorded uh, at Bias Studio um, in Springfield, Virginia, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., kind of where I live. Um, the recording engineer is a guy named Mike Monser, who's now in uh, Nashville and is just killing it. And is just a wonderful guy. And, um, yeah, and, and Jake and Sarah just did a phenomenal job in this recording session. It was a long day. It was a full day. Um, oh, I but believe they, it. They did, but they did really well. And uh, it was neat uh, recording this in what is actually more known as like a jazz and, and rock and roll kind of recording studio. And so there's hmm. a little bit of that aesthetic that comes across in, in just the recording timbre and quality. And uh, I'm actually really proud of that and really uh, excited about that because it gives it a little bit of uh, an organic sound and it, it's a little truer to my background and kind of my upbringing in rock and roll. Really cool. Well, here it is then, uh, Jacob Swanson and Sarah Marchitelli uh, performing Consequences of Our Common Good. Thank you. 
So 
you've talked to us a little bit through this piece about some stylistic or aesthetic things, right? You, you've mentioned some processes like additive process, or you've mentioned groove based things. Um, I feel that many people uh, pigeonhole these types of processes and techniques into like the term minimalism. So, yeah. so here's the dangerous question. Here's the dangerous question. Do you consider yourself a minimalist? <laughs> oh man. The problem is for me, <laughs> and maybe this is my own insecurities as well. Uh, but it's, uh, cause you know, I, you know, the, the quote unquote minimalist composers that I highly regard for me are just like at the, I just love what they do and, and have done mm -hmm. and, and continue to do. And they also deny themselves as being minimalistic and stuff. I would say I'm highly influenced it. Um, you know, one of the people who fit into that box occasionally is Steve Reich. And uh, he's made a tremendous influence on me and my music, um, not just because, you know, uh, of the percussion nature to his music, which is my instrumental background. But um, I just really connected with it um, from my earliest exposure. Uh, one of my favorite performances i was ever a part of was uh, a performance of music for 18 musicians um, mm. which uh when i was an undergraduate um, my car ride between my hometown and where i went to school wasn't an, exactly an hour long which is the length of that piece and uh i basically listened to that piece almost every car ride when i would go home to rehearse the band or just to see family um and it was kind of a piece that was just really personal to me so in graduate mm. school um we had some friends who uh you know, purchased the score and we started a new music ensemble and that was the first piece that we did. And I actually played piano on it. Um, the, the part that Steve Reich plays, um, nice. one of the piano four parts. And, uh, uh, I did the, um, basically the amplification, you know, get four Steinway pianos with the lids off and all that stuff. It was like one of the coolest mm -hmm. things. Um, so that being said, sorry, long tangent again, um, I'm heavily influenced by, um, his music, um, and I wouldn't say that necessarily I consider myself a minimalist. I, I, I would rather, um, I, I think I more consider myself just a, a guy who grew up in rock and popular music or loved rock and popular music. And um, I try to appropriate um, some of those kind of styles within the music that I write. How that shows up is usually the pieces I write are shorter. Um, mm -hmm. They usually have some sort of um, pulse or rhythm to it. Um, there's usually some sort of melodic aspect to it. And then there's usually some sort of moment where there's like uh, tension that gets released in some sort of almost uh, either, either overly dramatic or some, you know, some sort of moment that, <laughs> that happens where it's like, Oh man, that sounds like an emo song from like 2004. <laughs> you know, it's like stuff like that just kind of pops in. I, I have like this angsty teenager that's still somewhere hovering around in my, my compositional sphere. Um, so yeah, so I guess I, I'm really influenced by composers that you would put into the minimalist category. Sorry, I know on the podcast you're not getting all my air quotes. I'm doing lots of bunny ear air yeah, quotes. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's 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 quite fun. I think I think it comes across in the inflection of your voice at times. So I think it's all good. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting too because I um in in general. I'm I'm not a huge fan of let's say being a minimalist, but to to also be fair, I'm not a huge fan of being I'm a serialist or I'm a spectralist or any yeah. any kind of um, dogmatic approach. To, mm -hmm. And and listeners on this podcast probably know this already and are already rolling their eyes. But but any kind of dogmatic mm -hmm. approach to a particular style, I find just to be so incredibly limiting. Um, um, yeah, I, I want all these to be tools. Mm -hmm. I just I feel like that way I don't have to 
fit into kind of this very bland antiseptic kind of box. Uh, I, I have the ability to play with some things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I like most about your music is I can hear minimalist influences, but I'm also like, mm, yeah, but that process is actually unfolding a little weirder than like a traditional process in air quotes, a uh, process piece might. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, that's, that's really great. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, as you continue to, uh, discover new things and, uh, become influenced by new things and whether that's musical or not, I think your music just kind of shifts and, and, uh, ebbs and flows and, and follows that landscape and, uh, and just mood and attitude. Um, it's interesting now, um, that, I'm writing more for people and there's a little bit of an expectation as to kind of what my music is supposed to sound like, like what's kind of a little closer to being (laughs) my own genre and like trying to push that a little bit more. Uh, But luckily I've had some amazing teachers who um, Mm -hmm. have been sought after uh, by a lot of people and have, have dealt with that challenge. And uh, that's been like so unbelievably fun to watch them navigate it because uh, they tow that line so perfectly. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. like one of my favorite composition teachers I have is this guy, David Gillingham, uh, who's mm-hmm. written a lot for concert band and wind ensemble. And when they hire and commission Gillingham, they, they want it to sound like Gillingham, but he does such a phenomenal job of towing that line of being like, I'm going to give you who I am, but by the way, here's, here's this new thing. And here's this new idea. <laughs> and, uh, and watching guys like him and, and so many of my other teachers that I had that I'm so grateful for, um, to navigate that is uh, been one of the coolest things, and so I try my best to 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 try to I don't know uh, honor that and to and to be thankful for the people who are you know asking for new compositions, but at the same time still finding that fun space to explore new ideas. Yeah, this this fun space that you're talking about, and, and a little while before you were talking about something that was almost kind of picturesque or, or narrative in its story. That 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 kind of leads me to your storytelling adjective, and okay. coincidentally or not coincidentally, maybe the next piece. Mm-hmm. The the next piece that I associate the the storytelling adjective is is um, uh, a chasing after the wind. Is that is that correct? Oh yeah, for sure, for sure, yeah. So, so this title is interesting. A chasing after the wind. It's a little poetic, um, but I'm I'm not exactly sure what the what the reference is, or if there is a a reference because I didn't do my homework in terms of looking up a program note. I was trying to just let the the music and your adjectives kind of guide my my sensibilities and aesthetics. So, mm-hmm. why don't you unpack this? This is a solo vibraphone piece, right? It is, yeah. And um, the recording that we're going to hear is performed by a guy named Ian Rosenbaum, who's a member of uh, Sandbox Percussion, uh, which is a percussion mm. quartet. Um, that is doing a lot of awesome things. Um, Ian uh, specifically has been promoting a lot of, um, or sorry, uh, of um, uh, Andy Akiho's percussion music. And so uh, oh, okay. that's been uh, the biggest thing. Um, so anyways, uh, A Chasing After the Wind, the title actually comes from uh, scripture. So it's actually a biblical mm-hmm. reference. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it basically the whole premise of the piece um, kind of comes for a lot of... Um, basically stuff that we do here on earth and, uh, what we chase after, um, mm-hmm. and, and what we focus on and, and get caught up in. And sometimes it's, it's equated to being a chasing after the wind, um, which was written for, um, percussionist, a guy named Kyle Cherwinski, who was, um, at that time in Colorado and, and performing and working on a graduate degree. And, uh, yeah, it was just kind of one of those pieces that was kind of where my head was at when I wrote the piece. Um, you know, cause I was kind of having some realizations and, uh, he was having some, um, similar realizations and, um, I, I kind of 
you know, this was a couple of years ago, so forgive me if I'm paraphrasing, especially no, Kyle. No, that's okay. Especially Kyle, if you hear this. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it was kind of one of those things where, um, you know, I asked him because he asked me to, you know, write a piece and I said, well, you know, where, where are you at right now? So it kind of also ties into the, the personal adjective a little bit, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but, but that's where it kind of came from. And, and the piece is kind of an exploration on that as much as you can explore that with a, a solo vibraphone. Which, which is a really, I mean, the, the title is evocative in some ways, and, and it's fun that I kind of uh, uh, alluded to kind of a poetic kind of taking, because the scripture and, and many of the, the religious holy books out there, I just, mm-hmm. I look at them so much as just really, really intensely neat human prose and poetry, right? There's some, there's some fascinating stuff in, oh, yeah, for in sure. these texts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this... I I almost kind of get a little narrative arc to the way the piece unfolds. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything formally? I mean, we we start off with in, the, in this slower kind of atmosphere with almost this tolling effect you have with with some of the vibraphone, and, and then we get a faster music, a more a more maybe Andrew Cody rhythmic uh, experience. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, what, what are, are are we actually? What are we? Ch- what are you chasing in this piece? <laughs> oh, I love that uh, tip. Yeah, so the beginning is kind of that like uh, just more contemplative like mm. you know um open space and um it's kind of like the it's it's more because the ending is very similar to the beginning it's you know that kind right. of the aba yeah. form um but really the a at the beginning is more reflective of the ending which is kind of mm-hmm. uh again a response towards the middle section which is a little busier and a little active uh which is kind of more of the like worldly side so uh, for me like as a composition it's kind of the looking back, almost uh, memory aspect of it at the very beginning, and then a kind of mm-hmm. reminder of that at the end. But yeah, it's it's um, the story I'm basically trying to tell through the piece is just one of uh, kind of reflecting on those two different spaces. The one that you know kind of opens and is more reflective, and which we all kind of get, I think, at some point during. Mm. Uh, you know, the year or whatever, like it's snowy outside and you're looking out the window and, you know, for me now it's like nap time. Like when, when my son is asleep and like, you know, there's, right. there's, a, there's a pause on a weekend day and you get to actually look at some of the stuff that you've been doing and thinking back on it. And, uh, you know, like I look at my day today, which was filled with, you know, teaching lessons and, you know, classes and doing a recording session before this and a podcast. And I get so worked up about how important I am when I do that. Cause you know, I've had this long day and I've been, you know, shaping the minds of <laughs> college age students. That's right. Mold, molding them. Yes. Yeah. I'm so important. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> but then you get those moments during nap time where you just reflect and you just go like, what, <laughs> like, why do I, I, I value myself that much? Like, why do I put so much of an importance on just the work that I've been doing? And this piece is more trying to highlight the fact that all of that is kind of a chasing after the wind and rather mm. we need to mm. create more space and realization that there's something more important than just the works that we're doing or the things that we're doing to not just keep ourselves busy or feel self-important, but to be a part of what we're doing. So that's, that's kind of the narrative behind this piece. I think that's a perfect moment for us to uh, hear a little bit of this particular recording. Uh, so who do you say was playing this recording again? Yes, yeah, so this is Ian Rosenbaum of uh, Sandbox Percussion, which, by the way, Ian is like one of the nicest guys ever who I've met like 
once, and uh, he played this piece as part of uh, the 2D New Music Festival, which is held uh, every other year um, in Denison University in Ohio. And uh, Ian is just a phenomenal performer and uh, a pro. And uh, the recording uh, that you're going to listen to, there's actually supposed to be some motor at the beginning, and uh, he was playing on an instrument that had a broken motor, and uh, he still <laughs> nailed it and recorded it. So this is actually a live performance, and uh, I was super proud and uh, of, of how he played, and it was great getting to talk with him and, and get to know him a little bit. And uh, he's still in New York and freelancing and uh, playing with Sandbox and, and just killing it. So uh, check out Ian Rosenbaum and all the amazing work he's doing.
Okay, so uh, we got a little bit of that personal adjective seeping into uh, this this wind chasing that we're doing here. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, for for me, I also get a lot of this this personal adjective in in the third piece that you submitted, mm-hmm. uh, and of course, uh, this is this is a string quartet. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that is correct. Good, because I'm looking at my my handwriting and I have no idea what that instrumentation says. <laughs> <laughs> String chord. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so this is the the triumph of the resurrection, right? That's correct. Yeah. And so when um when I was listening to this piece and and kind of looking at your bio and just realizing just the the. Maybe it's a generational thing. We, you know, we try and do a lot of different types of stuff. Yeah, for sure. we're, uh, maybe it's also the 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 adjuncting life, right? Where we're, we're doing oh, yeah. a little of this and a little of that <laughs> and a little of something else. It's the the, <laughs> the music buffet. Yeah, that's 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 what oh, our careers I, are. Yeah, I love it. I love that. See, I I go for that technical dry term, the portfolio career. <laughs> oh yeah, no, but, no, it's the buffet. It's like oh, I you, love you're it. gonna have a little more mashed potatoes today. Mashed potatoes <laughs> is private lessons. That's what those are. Nice. That nice. would be a really good. Um, we should do this. Actually, this is a good adjective uh, podcast. The music career buffet. Like what? Like what, food what, comparison? Yeah, like a food pairing per like job that you wear. And it like oh, apple, man, that's applesauce the... could be like teaching pre-K music classes, which I've had to do, or like you know, <laughs> a gogurt, maybe gogurt. I don't know. All these things we could um, pair together be hilarious. That's that's so funny because I think Garrett Schumann has has uh, posited uh, possibly a, a, a beverage pairing of sorts with different kind of musical pieces. So this this could be like a, a food and drinks. <laughs> I think I think we're onto something here. I think this will be great. <laughs> um, so so I I was listening to this piece and I was thinking about the the work that you do uh, for for your church uh, and sure. I thank you for the pronunciation guide but could you just pronounce it for us here so that that I don't screw it up in the intro <laughs> yeah it's uh, Truro T R U R O um, church which I, I still my wife works at the church as well and and we both go churro 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 we, we mess it up all the time. <laughs> But it's actually, yeah, it's a parish that's been around for a really long time in the D.C. area. Um, it's obviously gone through a couple of uh, changes, buildings burned down and stuff. But it actually has a lineage that traces mm-hmm. back to um, George Washington sitting on the vestry um, with George Mason and a couple other, like, wow. notable. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting, the, the church history and how it's been around. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's kind of fun. But, yeah, Truro, T-R-U-R-O, kind of kind of a fun name. And the other thing that's fun about this for me is is in uh, uh, in your bio you had talked about there being a, a, a pretty significant new music component that I, like new as in contemporary live living music that that happens weekly was that yeah so my job um, and it's actually my full time job so it's a full time salaried position at this church uh, I'm the associate director of worship and arts uh, and I work on a, a wonderful team of musicians. Uh, my boss is a guy named Jamie Brown, who's a phenomenal contemporary Christian songwriter and just leader and is one of my closest friends and honestly one of the best musicians I've ever worked with in my life. Um, so I work for him, and then we've got another uh, a couple other folks who work with us um, that we contract for musicians, and then a guy, Gil Seiler, who's just a, an amazing guy who um, helps us stay organized. Um, so it's a, unique, it's, a, <laughs> it's a unique church in that um, – uh, they're very supportive, not just of music in general, um, uh, but uh, specifically of new music. So my job uh, kind of is in two parts. Um, 
I would say probably one third of my job is um, directing a choir. We've got a volunteer choir of close to sixty members, um, and we have. Oh wow! A, yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's a pretty strong choir program. Um, and then uh, the rest of my job is administration, but mostly actually writing music for our services. Hmm. And that can stem from arrangements to, like, for instance, this Sunday, um, we're doing this wonderful Bradley Knight piece um, who works with Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. It's this awesome gospel piece, and it has a wonderful trumpet solo. Um, and, uh, you know, we typically do between 11 and 13 pieces of music per service. Um, but we don't have trumpet hmm. charts for a lot of these other things. So I'm going to be writing this week trumpet charts to fill out you know the other repertoire that we're doing and it's not just traditional hymns it's contemporary music it's 15th gotcha. century stuff it's it's a whole wide variety um so the piece that we're going to hear the triumph of the resurrection was commissioned for um one of our ma major festival services for uh easter and for each big service there's some sort of uh unique or, or sorry com premiered composition um right yes yeah. and um and the musicians you'll hear on it are all from um the military bands so that's the other wonderful thing about the area is just there are so many fantastic musicians that play in the president's own or the u.s army orchestra yeah and, that's awesome yeah so um <laughs> those are all the people who play on our, our services um for these big these big services christmas eve easter good friday those sorts of things um so it's it's Honestly, like I'm a kid in a candy shop, um, and and being completely dependent on uh, musicians' artistry. Um, the first violinist uh, on the recording we'll hear today is a woman by the name of Marlisa Woods, uh, who plays with the U.S. Army Orchestra, who's just a phenomenal, amazing musician. And um, this past Christmas, I did a new arrangement of "Go Tell It on the Mountain." You know that him or Carol? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, uh, we did a bluegrass setting of it because she also plays in um, you know the Army bluegrass group, and basically her part <laughs> just says improvise <laughs> it's really advanced it just says improvise and of course she nails it and i'm like completely dependent right. on stuff like that and i'm and you know people laugh oh i love that arrangement i'm like yes i know i wrote such good notes especially for that first violinist <laughs> especially right yeah so um but yeah just to, to keep talking about Tarot and just how grateful i am about this church i mean on palm sunday another big service day um we always start them with um, a piece called Hosanna, which is a percussion duo for myself and uh, that I, I wrote for myself as well as um, our actual percussionist, which is a guy named Joe Cannell, who plays with the National Symphony Orchestra. Uh, he played at the presidential inauguration for President Obama, you know, with Lady <laughs> Gaga and Tony Bennett. And uh, he's just a guy who plays. He's been at our church for 25 years and is our drummer. So it's it's a really cool. I never in my life thought I would end up working in church music, but, um, I've never met a more dedicated choir, um, a more professional group of musicians that I get to work with every Sunday, um, and to get a chance to write literally every week. I mean, I've never in my life written as much as I have these last few years as I do for this church, um, both hmm. through orchestration as well as, uh, original compositions and arranging and, uh, and they're wonderful musicians and they're dedicated and they're honest and they're willing to tell you what they think about, <laughs> about your pieces. And so <laughs> I've learned, I've learned a nice. lot and, um, and yeah, so I'm just really, really grateful and, uh, and, uh, you know, my family has benefited greatly from being in this community and in this environment. Yeah, I was going to say that that strong uh, sense of community and that that act that constant uh, activity that must be. A, a, I, I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that seems to be a very fulfilling artistic place to be, and and kind of you know it it, it maybe is a uh, an inkling of what 
type of things, uh, a composer like Bach or, or someone who is just deeply involved in that sort of community with all of these resources, for lack of a better word, right, at, yeah, at their no. disposal. Yeah, no, and that's, um, and that's a great way of describing it, and that's something that I try not to take uh, for granted is the fact that, um, you know, Turo has, has – uh, the parish itself has contributed a lot financially uh, speaking to be able to – first of all, have music of this caliber um, from mm-hmm. just the performers. And then the fact that I can actually be in a position to create new music um, for the congregation, for the congregation's sake, is right. a, is, is a, a tremendous um, honor and, and, and a wonderful thing to be a part of. Um, and it's, it's, it is unique. And, and when I talk to a lot of people about the fact that I, I work primarily as like a church composer and a, and a church musician, um, that's the, what they equate it to is like Bach or, or something like that. I, mm-hmm. Although I'm not writing, you know, cantatas out, you know, <laughs> and inventing <laughs> you know, f- four part inventions and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, uh, but you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I'm really grateful for. And, and, uh, I must say, uh, the, the best part about my job is there are these kind of two different worlds that, um, in the Christian music scene have been kind of merging over the last, uh, really two or three decades, which has been kind of described as what's called the worship wars. And so, you know, in traditional churches, all of a sudden a drum set appears in the place where an organ used to be. And uh, it was like one or the other. And uh, so one thing that Tro Mm -hmm. has embraced, which has been awesome, and uh, is the fact that it's a blended service. So, you know, our services will start sometimes with a gospel band-led, rock-and-roll-driven thing. Sometimes it'll start with a contemporary pop song. Sometimes it'll start with a organ prelude. Sometimes it'll start with, hmm. you know, um, a drum percussion duo, you know? And um, yeah, it'll continue, and it, and it ebbs and flows like that. We'll have organ-led hymns. We'll have contemporary Christian rock. We'll have everything. And for me, as a, a choir director, it's a blast because I play electric guitar during the services. And so to, to, nice. to turn around and conduct <laughs> Palestrina... And then to put my electric guitar back on and, you know, turn on my distortion pedal and my overdrive and my delay and my reverb and to have this all running through my custom in-ear monitors, it's like, it's, it's, it's a different world. <laughs> it's really bizarre. So if any of you listeners are ever in the D.C. area, come check it out, Truro Church at Fairfax. It's, uh, regardless of your religious beliefs, it's a, it's a wonderful community. And the last thing I'll say about the church, too, I know I'm talking a lot about it, is I've never been in a church oh, no, that's in my life. Fine that sings as much as this church. And that's the thing that's huh. so amazing is it's not one of those things where we're up there performing and it's this performance and the congregation is down with their program notes and their reading. Uh, Reverently just yeah, soaking it in. No, yeah. they're engaged. And I mean, people are, it's a whole wide variety of hands being raised and people involved in singing. And it's, uh, it's just, a, it's just a wonderful, tremendous community that I've, I've never witnessed in any other context in my life. So I'm super excited. It's like a fun, wonderful environment, and they're so kind to let me still teach and uh, and pursue academic uh, work as well as being a, a full time church musician. So, yeah, that's that is just it's so refreshing. And and speaking as a, a self proclaimed postmodernist in some ways, mm-hmm. the eclecticism is just it's it's heartwarming for me. Yeah. That 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 kind of energy and, and activity. Um, so, so pulling ourselves back to this specific piece yes, in, for sure. in now in now that context. Uh, so, you said that this was written for for an, for an Easter service, and, mm-hmm. and what what part of the service specifically was this written for, or where where would this fit in contextually? Yeah, for sure. So, um, uh, for Easter for us, it, 
the services kind of take a different shape. We do this um, thing at seven o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday after we've had a full week of Monday Thursday services, you know, and uh, hmm. uh, Palm Sunday the week before and Good Friday, which we usually do some sort of big um, choral work. Like a, we did the Duraflay Requiem, we did Mozart Requiem. Oh yeah, you know, some sort of big master choral work or whatever. And then Easter Sunday comes and uh, it's like a seven a.m. sunrise service. And um, so this piece uh, fit at that service and um, some of the later services in different areas. But primarily it was supposed to be this opening, like Jesus Christ is risen. This is the big celebration kind of moment. And that's, uh, and to fit the church, that's, that's exactly what uh, I was after. So it's supposed to be a a joyful celebration. And and that's kind of where the piece comes from. And uh, these, this is a live recording um, that you'll hear. um, And again, it's just wonderful musicians that I'm completely dependent on. And, uh, oh yeah, man, it is it is quite good for a live recording. That yeah, is, and uh, yeah. and exactly, and, and to have these, um, you know, the the military band musicians here, and uh, just the the artistry that they bring and the professionalism, and uh, it's you know, my first day working with them, I was just super nervous. <laughs> I'll be totally <laughs> blunt. I'm still always nervous. Like whenever I'm around like really amazing musicians, I just feel like I'm still this, uh, you know, I don't know, I. I my favorite story about when I first met some military musicians in this area was, um, so my wife actually was close friends with the guy who plays in the president's zone. He's a saxophonist, this guy, Steve Temme. And, uh, it was when the government was shut down, not this shutdown that we were dealing with right. currently. I'm not sure when the podcast will be released, but it's been a hot mess down here in DC. Uh, but anyways, I believe it. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyways, this was one a couple of years ago and uh, Meredith and I were just dating and we were going to a Oktoberfest party over at their house. And I was like, oh, this will be great. Like, I'll get a chance to meet, you know, one of these amazing musicians and get to talk to him a little bit. And I go there and there's like an Oktoberfest band set up and they're all these professional president's own musicians. <laughs> and I'm like shaking, like I'm seriously like shaking nervous. And uh, my wife is like, what is wrong with Andrew? Like, what is going on here? And I'm like standing in the corner and I felt like that kid at a prom dance who... Um, like didn't want to talk to anybody or dance to anybody. <laughs> yep. Like all the girls were way too pretty and I just don't want to go near them. That was me around these musicians. And I still am like that. And, uh, and so I just, I just try to be really thankful and, um, I just, I just am so appreciative. And so, uh, I wanted to share this recording in particular, just to kind of give a snapshot as to what, um, you know, my job is like working for Turo and, and the kind of level of musicianship that we, we get from that kind of community. That's beautiful. A truly humbling experience, which I think is is perfect in, in a lot of ways for what we're about to hear. Yeah, thank you.
Time has come. Uh, the, the the gloves are coming off. The last question. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so how did you come to music, and how did you know that this was something that you were going to do for the rest of your life? So for my background and my story, it's it's kind of an I don't know. I say it's odd, but then I like hear more odd stories, and I'm like, oh, it's nothing. Um, I, I grew up with very supportive and loving parents who were not in the music world at all. Um, Mm. my first two concerts growing up in elementary school were Garth Brooks concerts, which I do still love Garth Brooks. I really do. And, um, nice. Yes. Uh, it was basic. I saw him a couple years ago anyways. Um, but I mean, most of the time when we were driving places, it was like, traffic on the eights and weather on the fours. And, you know, that, mm. that was sort of a thing and music wasn't really around our house. Um, but when, uh, when I was in late elementary school, um, I remember going somewhere and just starting to get obsessed with drums. Like that was the thing. And I went to a place called Storyland, which is like a little thing in New Hampshire where I grew up. Um, and I bought these little, um, you know, drum, basically toys, uh, to be able to set up in my room. And I found a little tape recorder and I would record myself. And, uh, it wasn't even just that. It was just basically from early on, I was just obsessed with music. And for some reason I really, really loved it. And, um, so it started with drumming and I just latched on to literally everything that I could. Um, you know, when I was in, uh, elementary school, I joined the elementary school band and played drums and, I went to middle school and in middle school I joined band and then in eighth grade I thought girls were interesting. So I was like, girls don't think drums are interesting. I'm going to play the bass. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I realized that's not, that's not the case. I, I need to learn. That's guitar. not how that's, this is that's, not how any of this works. That's not how this works. <laughs> I was in eighth grade. Leave me alone. And then in ninth grade, I was like, I'll learn guitar. And that'll, that'll be it. And then I learned piano and I was like, no, this, this is just me at this point. But, um, <laughs> no, it's like an odd conglomerate of events, like, because it wasn't a specific genre or a specific style. It was like, I, uh, you know, went to high school band and I heard Eric Whitaker's October and I just cried playing suspended cymbal rolls. And I was like, why did I just cry in the middle of high school band? 
And then like I there's this <laughs> band called May, which is a random band, um, you know, in uh, the Norfolk, Virginia area, uh, which is now reuniting, which I'm super pumped about. I just like spent a, I went to a, visit a concert at a smaller venue. Um, in the DC area and I just spent an hour and a half talking with their drummer and their musicians and I was like because of you guys I'm a musician like I, I went into this field so it's like nice. those extremes I was like this is so bizarre it's so weird uh, combined of course with the fact that in 10th grade when I knew I wanted to be a musician um, it was also because I wasn't a strong mathematician I wasn't really into the sciences <laughs> I just I disclosed at the beginning of the podcast I couldn't spell so I, I was kind of like, well, I got to make this musician thing work because I literally have no other options. The, the, the choices are rapidly diminishing. Yeah, it was. And then I started with bass as my secondary. It's, you know, so it was one of those things that um, I knew uh, very early on that I wanted to do something in music. And it didn't matter what that thing was. If it was touring as a rock drummer, great. If it was being a high school band director, great. If it was working my way up teaching elementary school music and then you know eventually college and then writing music or playing music or whatever it was as long as at the end of the day I could go home and I knew that I was providing for a family and I was making a living and I'm grateful I have a wonderful son now and an amazing wife and I we own a house in the DC area and you know it's uh because not only my wife works but also because I'm a musician and uh <laughs> And, uh, and you know, and that's just what I'm grateful for and, and what I'm glad I, I made the, um, you know, the, the investment of time and energy and, and I'm grateful for my parents and I'm grateful for my family and for my friends and, and people who weren't really sure what I was doing when I was writing a, you know, like a 12 tone piece in college and learning about that or, you know, writing mm -hmm. a, a post-minimalist thing or, you know, giving a performance of NC in college and people are like, what the heck is that? Or music for 18 musicians or, <laughs> or any of these things that like, you know, you just develop as a young musician and, and people who are not in the music sphere are like, what the heck is going on? But they're supportive anyways. Mm -hmm. I had so many of those mm -hmm. kind of people in my life that made it work and I'm grateful for that. And, uh, and so, yeah, so that's kind of where, where I am and yeah, we'll see where it goes next. You know, you're uh, 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 having having just met you again. I it's it just reaffirmed my appreciation for you and your music. That that you do two of my favorite things that I wish more composers would do more frequently. And you're just you're a very nice person, and you're also very grateful. You know, this is I think these are two things that as musicians. Um, can get lost as we're, dare I say, chasing other goals. Well, that's a very high compliment, so thank you. And uh, I Thank you. I see that and hear that a lot in your music, obviously. I was listening to um, your hymn, actually, on the way uh, home today, Aww. which is such a beautiful piece. And um, just hearing you open up on the podcast about what that meant to you and, and, and to your mother, and um, it was just powerful and and that's the kind of human connection I want to maintain in my music. And um, yeah, so I'm grateful for guys like you and, and for folks like Jamie and all the other Adjective Music Collective. And I, I can't wait to see where uh, we're all going to head next. Well, I have a feeling 2019 is going to be a great year for all of us. Andrew Cody, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew? Dr. Andrew. Dr. Andrew. A Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. I need a doctor. I need a Dr. Andrew. 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 <laughs> 
Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.